All right, so I got a question just to kick this off. Do you guys know what a goal shirt is? Awkward laughter. My wife does, so that's cool. Uh, a goal shirt uh, or maybe goal pants, uh, something that may be just a little bit smaller than what you can fit into, but your goal is to be able to fit. Does anybody now know what I'm talking about? You guys all have one article of clothing in a drawer somewhere, whether it's something new or uh, maybe you got it on some crazy sale and you're like, I'll be able to fit into it soon. Or maybe it's not like an old favorite shirt that you don't quite fit into anymore. Uh, and uh, I have uh, about a half a drawer full of these shirts of mine. Uh, and every couple of months, I pull it out. I pull out this gold shirt and I try it on and they still don't fit. And it's because I haven't really done much to make them fit is really what the problem is. And I don't know if you guys have ever had that situation, but we we, we have these goals, we have these desires, we have these uh, things like whether it's goal shirts or, or different just goals that we have in life. And a lot of times uh, we don't do anything different to get there. Uh, we don't do anything different for that shirt to fit. We don't do anything different uh, to make that happen. We think that we just can keep doing the same thing that we have been doing, living the same lifestyle that we have been living um, eating the same way that we have been eating. Uh, we've got, did I mention we have a pie contest next Sunday? Uh, so my goal shirt's probably going to get put off another week or two. Uh, but uh, anyways, we, we do these same things that we've always done, and we hope to get kind of a different result, and we hope that maybe next time I put it on, it'll just magically fit a little bit better. Maybe next time I put it on, and, and we, it's, it's a ridiculous thing for us to think that we can not change, but that somehow the circumstances will. Uh, but we all do this in our lives over and over and over again. We like to think that new oftentimes is the answer to our problems. Uh, my old problems are the fault of the old thing. Uh, and in time, uh, it'll be new again and it'll work. Or if I go to a new job, that'll be easier than the last job. We, oftentimes we walk away from a problem, uh, but that's not the same thing as solving a problem. We just walk away from it and we leave the problem behind, but we never actually solve it or address it. Uh, we never actually start to look at why did that happen. We just leave the job. We just end the relationship. We just get another credit card or another loan. We, we just kind of keep moving on to the new or the next, and we never look at what the problem was, and so it's never solved. I don't need to change. My circumstances do. My, my situation needs to change. They need to change. The relationship needs to change. Uh, but getting something new doesn't mean that you are new. Uh, at the wedding on Friday, um, you guys, I'm sure, have been to weddings, and I'm sure you've figured this out. So the wedding ends, and inevitably, uh, as the bride and groom go off to take photos, all of the other couples decide, we should take photos too. And so you guys have done this, where it's like you're finding all the pretty spots, and, and you're all lining up to take photos. And, uh, and so we were with a couple groups of friends and, uh, and we all found this great spot. It was overlooking the ocean in Dana Point. So everybody's like taking pictures. And a couple weeks ago, you guys may, I can't remember if I announced this or not, but I got an iPhone 8 Plus. Uh, it's like a small computer uh, that's supposed to fit in your pocket. Uh, so I've got new gold jeans that just have bigger pockets is what it is. But uh, so everybody's taking pictures. And then uh, and my wife asked me to take a picture. And so I give them my phone. And it's got like this portrait mode thing on it. And so it's just, it just what it does is uh, it, in high def, it, it highlights all of your issues. Uh, my, it didn't take away my other chins. Uh, it didn't make my suit fit any better. Um, it just brought more attention and more definition to those curves that I didn't want to be there. Uh, but there's, I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible camera, and there's a sense of like, oh, this is going to take these awesome pictures. 
but I'm still in them, and I still look the way that I look. Uh, and I think we have this sense of, man, if I get something new, it will solve the problems. And the camera is a silly example, but we do this all the time. We do this with relationships and jobs, and, and we do this with, uh, you know, I've, I've done this before in my past, and it destroyed me where we think, man, I'm just going to get out one more loan, and I'll pay off these other loans with it, but I'll do better with this loan. And I never actually change. I'm just kind of shuffling debt around and increasing it as we go. And, and so we do this in a ton of different ways where we think that, because we get something new, it will help. It'll fix the problems, but it doesn't mean that we are new. If the problem is everything else and everyone else, then new should fix it. This is the whole premise of American marketing, uh, is to make you think that what you have isn't good enough, uh, and this new thing will fix the problem. Uh, this new thing will make you look better in photos. Uh, this new thing will, whatever the, whatever the solution is, that's, that's why they are constantly marketing to this, this desire that we have to become something different, to become something better, to become more whole, more healthy, more this, more that. And all you have to do is buy this one belt and you turn the switch on and it just zaps your stomach for 10 minutes a day and all of a sudden you're going to be skinny and fit into all your, it's like, man, that's not, that's not a reality. You, you can't just get something new and assume that it's going to change everything about who you are. You can't just do something new, get into a new relationship. You can't just ex expect that the new thing is going to change you. If the problem is actually you, then you're just going to bring your old problems into the new thing. If the problem has to do with you or your personality or your habits or your addictions or your whatever it might be, and you get something new, you're just going to bring your old problems into that new situation. You get a new car, and if you still have a five-year-old, that new car is also going to have crushed Cheerios all over the floor. Uh, it's, it's the old problems, and it doesn't matter how new the car is. I remember when we were growing up, uh, we got a new van to us. At the, our family was such the American family. We had two Astro vans at the same time. Uh, one was white and one was blue. The white one was the nice one. Uh, and I remember when we got it, my dad uh, decided, hey, you know what? They're going to make a mess of it at some point. So he drove through McDonald's and he got all four of us kids ice cream cones. And my mom was like, I can't believe you're doing this. And he's like, it's going to happen at some point. You know, the, it's, it's going to get filthy at some point. But we, we bring our old problems into the new thing. Uh, John Maxwell is an author and a leadership guru, and he was a pastor for a while. He says this. He says, people are more comfortable with old problems than they are with new solutions. People are more comfortable with old problems than they are with new solutions. It, it, it's not fun to change. Even if the change is a good thing, it's not fun to change. Uh, even if we want that thing, it's not fun to change. It's not easy. It's challenging. Uh, and it's not even just us individually, but we actually don't like it when p the people around us change. Uh, when the people around us decide, hey, I'm going to get healthy, and you're like, oh, great, what does that mean for me? Uh, what does that mean for me? Oh, you're going to do this new diet, so now we can't go out to eat anymore. Uh, oh, now, you know, and, and in some situations, and this has happened in my life a number of times, where I said, hey, I'm going to get emotionally healthy and uh, do counseling. And I'm going to figure out some stuff. And all of a sudden, I start realizing, hey, I need to act differently. But all the people around me, the people that were close to me were like, well, I know how, you, I know how to interact with you this way. I like how you were broken. Uh, that way I understood how to talk with you. I understood how to interact with you. And so a lot of times when we get healthy, when we change, it actually causes tension in the relationships that we have around us. People are more comfortable with old problems than they are with new solutions. 
Our typical response to problems is to ignore them or deny them, to run from them or rationalize them, blame other people, other situations. Uh, We have all kinds of responses to problems, but rarely do we look inward. Rarely do we take a step back and say, what do I need to do different? What do I need to change? How can I be different? Last week, we read briefly about Jacob and Esau, these twin brothers. We're going to talk about them a little bit. We spent the most of our time last week talking about Joseph. Uh, and uh, if you missed last week, you can check it out on the podcast. Um, and, uh, and actually, we have a, I meant to say this earlier, there's a website that we put up. It's southhillsfamilymonth.org. And if you go there, there's links to all the podcasts. Um, and uh, it also has a digital version of, like, the devotional if you guys want to save it on your phone um, because you keep losing these tiny books or whatever it is. I think I've gone through, like, three of those books just in one week. Uh, and so, um, but uh, you guys can check out that website. But last week we talked about Joseph, um, and his father's name was Jacob. And today we're going to be looking at the relationship between Jacob and Esau. We're going to be looking at, really, the, the life of Jacob and how he interacted with, the, with everybody in his life. They were twin brothers. Esau was older, and Esau was like a man's man. Uh, he was kind of a, a big, burly, loud. Uh, I imagine he wore lots of flannel and probably drank Budweiser. Like, this is kind of just how I picture it. It doesn't say that, obviously, in the Bible, but uh, that's kind of my interpretation as I read about Esau. He was just this, uh, this big guy, and he, he loved to hunt, and he loved to fish, and um, probably on the scale of like outdoorsiness was probably more like Bass Pro Shops than he was Patagonia, if you guys know what I'm talking about. It's like there's, there's Bass Pro Shops, which is people that are actually outdoors, and then there's Patagonia, which is really cool clothes for outdoorsy people. Uh, I don't know if I offended anybody yet, but um, there's more time ahead. <laughs> uh, so um, the dad loved Esau the most. He was the older son by a, a minute. Less, there were twins. He, he came out first. He was the older son that he loved to hunt. It talked about how his dad actually loved Esau because he would bring home this wild, uh, this fresh meat to, to cook and to eat. And, and the, the dad loved Esau the most. Jacob was the younger brother. Uh, the writer of the story talks about how he was more indoorsy. Uh, he liked to cook. Uh, he had a quiet temperament uh, is actually what it says. Uh, probably binge watched a lot of like MasterChef and things like that, which is really, that's my personality also. So I'm not knocking him. He's actually the cooler brother in my opinion. But, um, but uh, their mother loved Jacob the most. Uh, they had very different personalities, very different approaches to life. Um, they were very, very different kids. And it's funny, their names, Esau, actually, the reason he was named Esau is in the Hebrew word for Esau sounds like the Hebrew word for hairy, because when he was born, he was covered in hair. So that's cool. Uh, and then uh, and Jacob's name, when he came out, it talked about the, in the Bible, it says that he was grasping at his brother's heel. Uh, and so Jacob's name translates to heel catcher. Uh, another translation is deceiver. Um, and so they gave these really beautiful names in the, in the Old Testament. But uh, Jacob had made a deal when they got older. Jacob made a deal to get Esau's birthrights uh, as the firstborn son. Uh, Esau came back from this hunting trip, and uh, Jacob was in the kitchen. And I'm not making this up. This is really how it happened. So he's in the kitchen. He's making his food, and Esau comes back, and you can kind of picture him, like, kicking through the door. And he walks in, and he smells this food that Jacob is making, and he says, give me some of that food. And Esau's like, all right, I'll give you the food if you trade me your birthright as the oldest son. And Esau is very bright and says, 
all right, I'm hungry. And so he trades him his birthright as the oldest son, which is just like the craziest. I mean, that must have been really, really good stew. Uh, so it's crazy. So Jacob makes this deal to get Esau's birthrights as the oldest son. And then later on, their father wanted to give Esau a blessing um, and to essentially uh, give Esau um, property and food and grain and kind of place this uh, blessing on Esau that he would be, uh, he would rule over his brothers and, and all these types of things. Uh, it wasn't just a kind word. This was, this was stuff. Uh, all of his siblings would be his servants, food, wine, resources, all these types of things. And when Esau was gone, Jacob and his mother came up with a plan for Jacob to trick his father into giving him the blessing. Uh, so this name deceiver really kind of coming into play. Their father was almost blind, and so he couldn't just tell the difference by looking at them. But the two were very different. So Jacob uh, says, Esau is much more hairy than I am. And his mom's like, don't worry about it. Just go and you kill the goats. And then they took the skin off the goats and they put it on, es- on Jacob. And so when he came to his father, his dad put his hand on Esau's hands, or Jacob's hands, and he felt the goat hair. And he was like, oh, yeah, this is Esau. That's how hairy Esau was. And Jacob wore his brother's clothes so that he smelled like Esau, and he, he lied to his father, and he said that he was Esau. And, and so Jacob deceives his brother, he deceives his father, uh, and he steals not only the birthright, but he steals this blessing that was supposed to happen. As soon as his father finishes giving Jacob this blessing, Esau, on cue, returns home to hear what has happened. And in Genesis chapter 27, uh, this story takes place from like Genesis 25 through 33. If you guys are want to, it's a long story, but uh, we're just going to look at a few verses. Um, Esau comes home and explains, no wonder his name is Jacob, for now he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. In verse 41, it says, from that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme, I will soon be mourning my father's death, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. So Jacob, obviously, he's the indoorsy one, if you remember. So he decides, I got to get out of here. So he flees. He runs to his uncle's house. He runs for his life. He runs from his problems instead of staying to work through them. Um, I saw this online, uh, this, this quote, and it was funny when I read it. I don't know if it will be funny now. But they said, every day is leg day when you're running from your problems. Uh, and this was like Jacob's mantra. He was like, he just took off, and he never stayed to deal with the mess, to deal with his own issues, to deal with the tension that he had created, to deal with, I mean, his family was far from perfect. He wasn't the only one with problems. His mom was very involved in this. But he, he didn't stay. He just, he took off and he ran. Running from the truth doesn't make it any less true. And running from your problems doesn't make them go away. So Jacob, he gets to his uncle and he, he moves in with his uncle, is happy to see him. His uncle's happy that he's there. And, and essentially, they almost immediately start this contest to see who can get the most out of each other. And Jacob uh, falls in love and his uncle says, well, you work for me for seven years and then you can marry her. And, and so he does. And then his uncle tricks him and gives him a, a different wife. And, and it's just this contest back and forth. And then Jacob starts to to trick his uncle into getting more and more um, sheep and goats and these types of things. And, and it, it just chapters full of back and forth and back and forth between Jacob and his uncle, trying to deceive him, trying to trick him. A number of shady things happen on both sides. Uh, and after a number of years, almost 20 years, a couple of weddings, a dozen kids, Jacob decides, hey, you know what? I got to get out of here. And so he picks up and he flees again in the middle of the night. 
while his uncle is busy. He takes his family and he leaves. And Jacob knows that his brother is probably still trying to kill him, so he tries to bribe his brother. He's, he's got this genius idea. So Jacob now has all of these flocks, all of these animals, all of this stuff. And so he's like, okay, i got to make my brother happy. Um, so i got to make sure he doesn't want to kill me. What am I going to do? And so instead of just, bri- just saying, like, hey, here's my bribe, he has this. It's really actually pretty genius. So he says, hey, I want you to separate all the animals by their different types. And I want you to separate everything I have in different groups. And there was wave after, so his brother Esau is coming with 400 soldiers. And so he's coming and he sees this flock of goats and he gets there and he's like, whose goats are these? And one of the servants says, these are our master Jacob's, but they're a gift for you, which is just a nice gift. And he's like, okay. And so then he keeps going past the goats and he sees this other herd of sheep. And he's like, whose sheep are these? And like, this is our master Jacob's, but they're a gift for you. And there's like flock after flock and wave after wave of bribes. And you can just kind of get this sense of Esau as he's getting closer and closer and closer. He's just been inundated with all of these gifts or bribes to make him not be angry and not want to kill his brother. Over and over again, Jacob has this cycle that repeats in his life. He is a victim. He plays the part of a victim. He tries to manipulate a situation People retaliate towards him, and then he runs. This happened with his parents and his brother. This happened uh, in a lot of ways between his wives. This happened with his uncle. Uh, This happened, he was even trying to manipulate and bribe his brother again to make sure that he wasn't killed. And I can imagine the thoughts that were in Jacob's mind because I've probably had really similar thoughts in my own in the past. In fact, I I know I do. you know, it's not my problem, it's, it's our culture's problem. Why should, just because he's older, why should he get this blessing? I deserve a blessing. I cook a lot, I, I, I'm a good son, I, I, I pull my share of work around here. It's this culture that's messed up. And you know what, my dad is a monster. Like, why would he pick favorites? What a terrible thing to do. And I, I'm just as good, and so, you know what, I'm just going to prove that I'm just as good. I'm just as smart, and I'm just as strong. And if he's going to withhold from me because he's got favorites, then it's not wrong for me to deceive him. And he starts to justify these things. And and then all of a sudden, it's his mom who was smothering him. And it's his brother's temper. I mean, he shouldn't be trying to kill me. And and, and all of a sudden, it's his brother's temper that's the issue. And then it's his uncle's lies that are the issue. And then it's his wife's, plural, bitterness. I don't know why they would be bitter. Uh, I have no idea how that happened. But he's like, well, what's wrong with them? Why are they fighting? Why are they scheming? Why are they trying to do all this stuff? And it's everyone's fault except for his. It's everybody else's issue, and never once does he turn inward and say, man, if I want this goal shirt to fit, I've got to change. If I want this to go differently, then I've got to change. If everybody's crazy, then maybe I'm the crazy one. I've had these thoughts, I've had these issues in my life a number of times, and usually you don't realize it until you're like way far down the road, and you're like, oh, I'm the idiot. I, I see it now. And it's like you're months and months and months or years and years into relationships or jobs before you realize, like, sometimes it's, it's years later that you look back and you realize, like, I was insane for thinking that. I was crazy for doing that. Jacob flees. Uh, I lost my spot. He already fled. He did it so many times. Over and over again, he puts himself in these new situations without addressing any of his old problems. The truth that Jacob didn't know is this. 
and this is kind of the big idea for today. If I run from my problems with you, I will only recreate them with someone new. And it's true for all of us. If we run from our problems with the, the person that we're married to, with the person we're dating, our friends, maybe coworkers or boss, if you run from the problems that you have, you will only recreate them. Because the problem is never all their fault. Now, I don't want to say that the problem is always all your fault, uh, because there's a lot, everybody's broken. But the, it's never 100% somebody else's fault. You played a part. You played a part. And so if you run from the problem that you have, if you run from the tension in a relationship, if you run from the uh, disconnect with uh, employer or employees, if you run from, uh, from one credit card debt to roll it into another, if you, if you never address your part of the problem, then you're going to just recreate that problem over and over and over again and over and over and over again. If you run from the problems, you'll recreate them with someone new. This is true of all of us. Jacob, in the story in Genesis 32, uh, he finally stops running. He sends off his family uh, to safety and he waits. He struggled with his brother and his parents and his uncles and his wives. He's kind of struggled and run his entire life. Really, in a lot of ways, his life was spent fulfilling this name, Deceiver that he was given when he was born. Uh, when Esau was on his way, he knew that he might be dead soon, his family might be killed or captured, and I imagine that he goes off on his own, and it, I imagine there's just terror. And this is the first time that he's stood his ground and waited and said, I'm going to deal with this head on. I mean, he bribed him, but he's also now going to deal with it head on. So just in case those bribes don't work, my brother's coming, and he's got 400 soldiers, and now it's just me. And he finally, for the first time, he stands up. He imagined desperately looking for hope and protection. And it talks in verse, uh, chapter 32, verse 24. It says, but Jacob stayed behind by himself, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he couldn't get the best of Jacob as they wrestled, he deliberately threw Jacob's hip out of joint. Verse 26, the man said, let me go, it's daybreak. And Jacob said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Verse 27, the man said, what is your name? And he answered, Jacob. And he would have known, and I don't know, I appreciate names and I appreciate the meaning of names. I don't know if you guys know what the meaning of your names are. But I would assume that there's a part of him in that moment that every time he said his own name, I have to believe that he knew that it meant deceiver. I have to believe that he knew and he, it would make him think of, of his life, of the way that he's lived, of the, of the choices that he's made. And so this man who, in different translations, some people say it's an angel of the Lord. Some translations say that it was God himself wrestling with Jacob. He says, what is your name? And Jacob, who's finally standing his ground for the first time, says, Jacob. And the man said, but no longer. Your name is no longer Jacob. Your na name is no longer deceiver. From now on, it's Israel, which means God wrestler. And he says, you've wrestled with God and you've come through. Uh, some translations say you've wrestled with God and you've won. And there's a sense in this story that through stabbing pain of his hip being pulled out of its joint, uh, that Jacob demands a blessing from this man that he doesn't quite recognize, and he can't receive it until he says what his own name is. 
he can't get this new name until he says what his old name was. He can't find out who, uh, who God says that he is in this moment until he says the truth about himself, until he fully owns this aspect of who he is. Jacob couldn't get a new name until he acknowledged his old name, deceiver. Jacob saying his name was essentially owning who he was and, and not trying anymore to shift the blame or shift the responsibility on anybody else. I lied, I cheated, I manipulated, I blamed everyone else, I've run, I'm the deceiver, I'm the heel grat, uh, catcher, I'm, I'm the one that's always grasping for what isn't quite mine. That's who I am. And he stands his ground for the first time, he's waiting for his brother to stand his ground, and then he ultimately even stands his ground and has this honest conversation after this intense wrestling match with God and owns who he is. This is the turning point in Jacob's life. He lays aside who he was, and he takes up this new name and identity, and he slowly begins to change, and it's not an overnight change. You can read more about his life, and he's, he made plenty more problems uh, and plenty more mistakes. But he slowly begins to embrace, and there's actually two chapters later, an angel comes and reminds him again in a dream, you're not Jacob anymore. You're Israel. And sometimes we need to be reminded again, like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to change. Oh, yeah, I'm different than I was. Oh, yeah, I don't have to live the way that I've always lived my life. Instead of bringing his old self into the new situation, he actually brings his new identity into an old situation, this new identity that was given to him when he was willing to stay and wrestle and not let go until he understood who he was, this new aspect of, of being willing to do the hard work to understand who he truly was, he took this into an old situation. He goes out to meet his brother Esau. He apologizes and he offers to do what he can to make things right in that situation. And Esau, and I don't know if it was all of the bribes or if it was the 20 years or if it was just that Esau was a better man than Jacob, but Esau didn't even want any of the bribes. And he hugged him and he welcomed him back home. But Jacob, in this moment, who had become Israel, he had become a different person, a new identity started living a different way after he looked inward and owned who he was. God is less interested in fixing your situations than he is in fixing you. That's one of the things I think that we see all throughout the scriptures. It's one of the things we see in our lives a lot of times. God is less interested in fixing your situations, the, the frustrating things that you have going on at work, the frustrating things you have going on at home. And, and it doesn't mean that it's not okay to pray for those. It doesn't mean that God w doesn't want those to change. But he didn't come to save your situation. He didn't come to transform your situation. He actually came to transform you. And when that transformation starts to happen, then our situation starts to change. Our relationships start to change. If he just gave you a new situation and you were the same, then you would take your old problems into the new situation. But to change and to be changed, to be transformed, we have to be humble. We have to find the sense of humility. I heard someone say this week, and it... I thought of it when I was getting ready for this message. He said, sometimes Jesus doesn't give us the answers we ask for. He gives us the answers to the questions that we should have asked. Uh, a lot of times I've gotten really frustrated with God because I'm like, hey, I've been asking about this for a while. And you haven't given me the answer. But a lot of times what he's giving us is the answer to the questions that we should have been asking. He's pointing to the things that we should be worried about. He's pointing to the things that we should be focusing on. 
well, we're like waving flags around of like what we think our greatest problem is, of what we think our greatest need is. And God isn't trying to save and, and fix and transform the situation. He's, he's always looking for our hearts to be transformed, our, our lives to be transformed, our identity to be reshaped and to be made new into the way that he sees us and the way that he created us to be. Not in our brokenness as deceiver, but in this identity of, of wholeness and, and potential. How often do we ask Jesus to change him or her or the job or the car or the political environment or the insurance or the friend or the cost or the debt? And Jesus is always offering to change us. In Luke chapter 4, this is an interesting part of the Gospels. Luke wrote this uh, passage about Jesus' life. Jesus was out in the wilderness and he was tempted and he comes back in after 40 days of fasting and being tempted and kind of just in this really intensely difficult situation. And he comes back in and he comes to the tabernacle and there's all these scripture readings that happen and he walks into the tabernacle and one of the uh, employees, not the right word, but I'm going to use the word employee. One of the tabernacle uh, employees, the worker that was there, he, he, his responsibility was to pull different scrolls out from the Old Testament, different scrolls from the prophets and the law and the, the different teachings of the previous rabbis and things like that. And, and Jesus walks in and this person pulls out this scroll and he gives it to Jesus and it says that he scrolls through and he finds what he's looking for in Luke chapter 4 verse 18. And he reads this in front of all of the religious people and, and all of the, the people there. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he is anointed. And remember, this is not him just say, speaking off the cuff. This is him reading something that they were all very familiar with. For hundreds of years, they had known about this passage. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that prisoners will be released, that the blind will be see, uh, will see and that the oppressed will be set free. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. The Lord's favor and this idea of good news for poor, prisoners set free, blind will see, oppressed will be set free. It says he rolled up the scroll and handed it back to the attendant. That's the word I was looking for a minute ago. Thanks for your help, guys. He hands it back to the attendant and he sits down. And all of the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And then he began to speak to them, and he said, the scripture you've heard came true just now in this place. This one that you've heard for years and years and years. Your dad used to read this. His dad used to, I mean, you've heard this for years and years, that the time of the Lord's favor has come, that there is freedom for the oppressed, that there's freedom for prisoners, that the blind will see, that there's justice for the poor. As you heard me read it, it has come true. This is who I am is what Jesus is saying. This is why I'm here. The poor is not just financial poverty. There's moral and spiritual poverty, poverty of relationships, brokenness from the way that God intended things to be. It's not just about how much money you have because you can be as wealthy as you want and still be broken and miserable inside. You can have a poverty of relationships, a poverty of spirit. He talks about prisoners. And in this area of Nazareth where he was reading, there's no prisons so he's talking about how prisoners are going to be set free, but it's not about prisoners that have done things wrong that are getting freedom. He's talking about uh, prisons that we've built for ourselves, whether it's spiritual 
prisons or, or prisoners of our finances, uh, uh, under control of addictions or habits, that there's freedom for prisoners, people that are captured and enslaved by these masters. Blind, uh, there's sight for the blind, people that are blind to the spiritual realm, to the fact that there was an enemy that's at work against them. They're blind to the fact that there's a God that has come for them to save them, to bring them hope and healing and forgiveness for sins. The oppressed, which means broken in pieces, shattered and crushed. In one beautiful motion, Jesus announces that if you're looking for the power to change, he has arrived. If you're looking for the ability for uh, your relationships to not have this poverty, if you're looking for the ability to be able to see with new eyes uh, yourself and the people around you, if you're looking for the ability to have hope or healing or newness or restoration, it has come true now in your, he- in your hearing because of who Jesus is. He gives the power to heal our hearts. He has the power to make us whole, to give us life. There's a sense of, man, I I really want them to change. And Jesus shows up and says, I am here for you. And them. He's here for them too. But personally, he's here for you. We talk about this a lot of times, that Jesus loves you individually. He knows you individually. He doesn't just know humanity. He doesn't just know Americans. He doesn't just know Orange County people. He doesn't just know... South Hills people, like he knows you individually and he forgives you individually and he is here to set you free individually. He's here to transform you, not just this general good news, but it's specific for us. It's specific for our relationships, not to change both of us and so we kind of just get the benefit of him fixing our relationship, but to change me so that I can be a different husband, to change me so that I can be a different dad, to change me so that I can be a different friend. A few years ago, it was probably about two and a half years ago, I realized that I was living and working in a way that was, I was actually pretty successful at work uh, and failing in every other area. Friendships were shattering apart and Ez and I were fighting all the time because I was always exhausted and thinking about a million different things and The boys hardly ever got to spend time with me because I was gone almost every night at different work projects and things like this. And it came to this point where I realized, man, what what needs to change? It's like, my job isn't going to tell me to be a better husband or friend. I have to decide how I'm going to change, how I'm going to be transformed, how I'm going to become different. The best way to change our relationships is by asking Jesus to change our hearts by asking God through the Holy Spirit to transform who we are. Not just come and fix this for me, God, please just take care of it. I don't want to think about it anymore. That's what we want. But he always responds when we say, God, please transform me. Change my heart. When we make that our prayer, daily prayer, If you can think about one thing that you would like to be different, if there's one thing that's been nagging at you, if there's one thing that's just been like a, as one writer, Paul says, a thorn in your side that you can't figure out how to get this thing to go away. If you just pray daily, moment by moment, God, please change me. Please help transform me. Please help me see things differently. Help me act differently. God responds to that because he wants to transform us. 
He's promised to transform us. The scripture you have heard just came true in this place. There's good news for the poor. Prisoners will be set free. The blind will see. The oppressed will find freedom. So, the question for us today is, what name do you have that you are willing to say out loud? You don't have to say it out loud here. Uh, What name are you running from? What identity have you been on the move from? Uh, what, how, if you look past, back in your past relationships, how have you seen those relationships go over and over and over again and wonder, man, why do I just keep picking losers? What, where, where is it for yourself? Are you willing to say, I'm going to stay here like Jacob did, and I'm going to wrestle with God, and I'm going to be honest and willing to say, here's my name. I'm a deceiver. I'm lazy. I'm a flake. I like to be busy at work because it's the only place I feel successful. I really wish that my family was more like somebody else's family. What, what's the name that we're willing and honest to stand our ground like Jacob finally was and say, this is who I am. And when we own that, God is there and he shows up and he says, I know that's who you've been, but that's not who I created you to be. That's not the way that I designed you. And that's not the limit of what you can be. Tim Keller is a pastor. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and quote him. It's going to be a paraphrase. I didn't plan on saying this. But he wrote this book on marriage. And he talks about how marriage is essentially two people that get a glimpse of each other. They see kind of a shadow of what God sees that person's potential as being. So if, you know, if... I look at myself. I'm like, I'm like a nine, nine and a, nine and a half on a good day, right? And God obviously sees like a ten. And so Ez is so blessed. No, I'm just kidding. So if you, if you look at yourself and you say, hey, man, here's where I'm at relationally. Here's where I'm at emotionally. Here's where I'm at spiritually. Wh- whatever the scale is that you've put yourself on, probably not a literal scale for my situation, but, you know, you are a certain way, but God sees the way that you were designed to be and what you, what you could be. And when you marry somebody, you find somebody that says, man, I think I got a glimpse of what God sees. And I want to walk with you and help you become that. And I hope that you'll help me become that also. There's a sense of for each one of us that God sees it's not just who we are and it's not just that, man, I am Jacob, I am deceiver, but it's, no, you're not. That's who you have been, and thank you for owning it. And now that you have, here's who you can be. And it'll change your relationships. It'll change not just your horizontal relationships with family and friends and coworkers, but it changes your relationship with God. Because all of a sudden, you don't walk around with this massive burden of guilt because, man, I, I can't believe that God has to deal with me, and I just screwed up again. And God sees you, and... He's already forgiven the mistakes, specifically. And he already knows that what your flaws are, and he sees your wholeness, and he sees what you were intended to be, and he wants to help you get there. So what name are we ready to speak out or own up to? What ways have you been waiting for your situation to change or your relationships to change? And maybe today we're realizing that Jesus wants to help you change 
help you find wholeness, you find healing. What if you don't need something new? What if you need God to give you a new grace for an old situation or a new perspective on an old problem or new passion for an old relationship, new strategies for old problems and addictions and habits? I think God is inviting us to be honest about who we are so that we can change, so he can help us be transformed. If you guys will bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, even as I say those words, I think about how I'm a father. I think about my sons. And the things that I see in them that they don't see in themselves, um, the things I know about them that they probably don't even know yet, uh, and I can't, only imagine how much more so that's true of you. You look at each one of us and you, you see things, you see potential in us, you see wholeness in us, you see all these things in us that we just are blind to. Um, and God, we sit here today, uh, like Jacob, we stand our ground and we say, here's who I am. I will own it in this moment. I will be honest you know it already. Everybody else probably already knows it, but I'm going to own it in this moment. And God, we ask that for each one of us that your spirit would be in this room, that your spirit would give us the strength to be transformed, to be renewed, our minds and our hearts to be renewed so we can think a different way, so we can act a different way, so we don't just find new situations, but we show up new to situations. God, would you... Be with us. Would you, especially for those of us that maybe in this moment feel this sense of shame of who we have been, of the way that we have lived. God, the shame is not from you. The shame is the enemy trying to pull us back down to this dark place that we don't deserve and we can never be and, and all these lies that are not true about each one of us. And God, you are standing above us and with us and you are inviting us to wholeness. In the scriptures it talks about while we were yet sinners, while we were broken as we are, that you gave your life for us. Not because we were good, not because we had it figured out, but while we were still jacked up, you gave your life for us. And that through that sacrifice that we can be made whole, that we can be restored, that we can change. That is what gives us the power to change. And so God, I pray that for each one of us this morning, myself included, that we would hold on to that power. That we wouldn't just try and, and white knuckle it and change things ourselves, but that we would be open handed and say, here's who I am. God, please help me be changed. Help me transform. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.